Today's uh, scripture reading is not as printed in your bulletin. Rather, it is uh, Romans 6, verses 1 to 11 on the overhead screen, if you wish to follow along. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. We uh, have been for the last week, and we'll continue talking over the month of July about our Wesleyan heritage. Last week we talked about uh, the first form of grace, anybody remember the name? Prevenient grace, very good, yes. So prevenient grace is the grace that comes before us. The grace that we didn't even have to uh, do anything for, it just surrounds our lives. There's a story about a, a salesman who was traveling, he was from the north, but he was going to the south in his car and he he went to order some breakfast, and he asked the waitress, who said, hey, honey, what do you have today? And he said, well, I'm going to have some eggs, please, over easy, and some toast and some bacon. Okay. And she comes back, and there is eggs and bacon and toast and this bowl of white stuff. And he said, now, what is that? I didn't order the white stuff. And she said, oh, honey, those are just grits. They come with everything. Grits are just grace. Grits just come before you. You don't even have to ask. And so it is with prevenient grace. They just come. It's just our lives are surrounded, swimming, enveloped 
and the love and grace of God, and we don't have to do anything about it. Now, I want to back up a little bit because we're going to talk about Wesley today. Now, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, even the kids knew that, was the 15th child of John or of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. 15th child, only nine of them lived. Uh, 15th of 19, uh, but only nine of the children lived. And Samuel was a rector in the Church of England, and so he grew up as a preacher's kid. His, his mother, uh, Susanna, is of great folklore in the Methodist Church. She was a very strict mama. She was also a very educated mama for that time. And she insisted that all of her children, boys and girls, learn to read and write not just in English, but in Latin and in Greek and in Hebrew. And so John was raised at a, from a very early age to be a scholar. And indeed, he was a scholar. He went off to Oxford and completed a few degrees there and was on his way to live uh, the life of an academic at Oxford when he felt called to the ministry. And so he was ordained in the Church of England. And while he was at Oxford studying and, and he started a group of, uh, of other young students who were very committed, as he was, to reading the Bible. Now, this was not a great time of, of piety in the Church of England. There weren't a whole lot of people that were into spiritual disciplines, but John was definitely into spiritual disciplines. So he started this group of other very spiritual people, and they got up in the morning and they read the scriptures together in Greek and in Hebrew, and then they went off and visited the people in the prisons, and, and then they went off and brought food to the people in the hospital, and, you know, and then they gathered again for a noonday prayer, and, I mean, and, and they were just so pious in the act of uh, following out their faith that people teased them, and they called them the holy club. That was not meant to sound like they were, it was meant to make fun of them. Uh, gradually that became called, as many of you know, the Methodists, because they had a method to everything. They were very methodical in how they did everything, and very rigid. And this, for John, was how he lived out his faith. It was this very rigid, very pious, very legalistic faith. You, you woke up in the morning and you went through a check mark of how you lived out your faith. Now, John, being the pious sort that he was, and believe me when I say pious, I don't mean that in a bad way. We sometimes use that in our sort of common vernacular as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be pious. He was very devout in his faith. And so he was very devout, and he thought, you know, I, I feel called to go off to these new colonies across the ocean, and I am going to go, and I am going to convert and bring the gospel to the native people, to the indigenous Americans, and while I'm there, I will preach to the Church of England. And so he went off to Savannah, Georgia. Some of you may have been to Savannah. Have any of you been to the Wesley sites in Savannah? Anyone? Okay, well, if you go to Savannah, Georgia, there's a whole Wesley tour you can take. You can go to a Wesley chapel. You can go to the, the place where Jet Wesley stayed while he was in Savannah. And so he, he went there with all good intentions, but you know, the people came to the colonies sort of to escape religious tyranny. 
So they weren't necessarily thrilled by Wesley's piety. They didn't necessarily find that to be endearing about him. And he was kind of a holy roller, and so many people struggled with Wesley. But one of the things that happened in Wesley, now this is the Methodist scandal part, I want you all to know the full truth here, Wesley fell in love. He fell in love with a woman named Sophie Hopke. And they had a little romance going, but it was very clear that, that Wesley was still struggling with his sense that as a priest in the Church of England, of course he could be married, but he sort of felt, because he was so enamored with the early church, that maybe he should be celibate. Fine. Things simmered down between him and Sophie. And then Sophie had the nerve to get married. And Wesley was not pleased with this. He was so not pleased that he denied her communion. And Wesley was run out of the colonies on a rail. He was sent back to England so quickly he didn't know what happened to him. And uh, he went back to England with his tail between his legs, forlorn and scorned, not just by Sophie, but by the people. And so he's on this boat on the way back to England, and there is a terrible storm, as there often was, and many of the English folks were panicking. But he looks around, and there's this other group of German folks. They were Moravians, and they were singing, and they were praying, and they just seemed really calm. And Wesley was curious about this. And so he started gathering with the Moravians and praying with the Moravians on the ship. And this was really comforting and interesting to him because their faith seemed to be very centered in their hearts so much so that they just weren't disturbed by storms at sea and such. And so he gets back to England again, still with his tail between his legs, wondering what is going to happen to my ministry? But he decides to join the Moravians for a prayer meeting. And many of you know this story, that Wesley was at a prayer meeting where they were studying the scriptures, they were reading of all things, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Scintillating reading, if you ever want to dive into some serious Bible study. But it was in that Bible study that Wesley Wright later wrote in his journal that evening that he felt his heart strangely warmed. <laughs> it's, it's maybe apt for today. We're all feeling a little strangely warm now. Totally different kind of warm. Suddenly for Wesley, his faith went from his head to his heart. It went from a matter of that strict to-do list with all the things, the check marks and things that you have to do to a matter of being saved by grace and by grace alone. In the book of Romans, Martin Luther calls this justification by faith. Justification is... um, Well, we use use the term justified a lot in, in... typing or in printing or on your computers. If you justify something uh, in a type, you can either left justify it, you can right justify it, or you can center justify. It brings everything into alignment. So for Wesley, justifying grace was sort of receiving that alignment of knowing that you were right and good and holy with God, 
So you can have all this provenient grace. Your life can be surrounded and swimming in grace. But if it doesn't come into your heart, it doesn't matter. And so for Wesley, that moment on Aldersgate Street in London converted his heart. And when his heart changed, his whole life changed. He went from being a rather ineffectual pastor, somebody who was very uh, bound up in legalities and fears and insecurities, to somebody who felt totally freed by the love of God. And so Wesley continued to do all of those things of reading his scripture and of visiting the poor and the sick and the imprisoned. And he did all of those things, but he did it out of a sense of grace and love and passion for what God has done for him. Not because he could do anything for God, but because God had loved him so much that he was eager and ready to serve that sense of moving our faith from our head to our heart and from our heart to our lives. That is what justifying grace is about. Wesley said that at the moment that we are justified, that we know God's salvation for ourselves, that we also experience what he called regeneration or new birth or new life. These things happen simultaneously, Wesley taught, that we receive that love and grace of God and that our lives change, that we are reborn, reborn into the original image of God that was stamped on us at our very creation. As we think about what it means for us as, as Christians, I often have to remind myself and have to center myself in God's grace to know that it is not anything that I do in my life as a pastor or my life as a Christian that saves me. It's not a matter of going to as many Bible studies as I can or making it to church every Sunday. It's not a matter of how many good works I do because I am saved by the grace of God. And that grace is a wash in my life and in your life. I'm wondering how it is with your heart this morning. It can be easy for us to let our hearts grow cool, lukewarm, as Wesley would call it, to be let our faith just simmer down. Maybe at some point we had some great experience of God's love, or maybe we're, we just come to wor- worship out of habit. We don't really expect to be changed or transformed. We, d- we didn't come here this morning thinking we would meet God. But Wesley would say to us, and Christ would say to us, I have come to meet you. I have come to be in your heart and in your life to give you freedom and love and joy. If you were, uh, we, we have been singing some good Wesley hymns, the opening hymn this morning, Love Divine, All Love Excelling. Sounds like Wesley to me. Listen to this now. Listen to this, these verses. I'm going to read the first three verses because the first one, now that you all are scholars in Wesleyan theology, the first one is about prevenient grace. The second two, or the two and, second and third one, 
describe justification and regeneration, okay? So now that we know a little bit about Wesley, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Second rest is is regeneration, rebirth. Take away our bent to sinning, Alpha and Omega B. End of faith and its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing, glory in thy perfect love. Our faith is one that always calls us to know ourselves immersed in the prevenient love and grace of God, that grace that we just swim in and throughout our lives and then to receive that love. Wesley described this journey of grace as a house, that the prevenient grace is everything that surrounds the house, the yard and fences or whatever it is that's around the house. That justifying grace is the moment that you walk in the door, that you cross that threshold, that you let God go from just something out here to something in here. Sanctifying grace, we'll get to next week. That's the the next process of living into and loving God with our whole hearts and with our whole lives. And so today I want to ask you, how is it with your heart today? Do you know God's love at the very core of your being? Will you receive this love that's already been given to you? Will you allow this grace to sink into your being, that you don't have to do anything to receive it, that Christ is just simply offering it to you as a gift? We are called to this life of grace. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you surround and envelop our lives in the gift of your love and mercy and grace. We confess, God, that sometimes we hold that grace at arm's length. We stand outside of the door and keep our head, our faith up in our head and our hearts closed off. But God, on this day, let us open our hearts to you again. Come into our hearts that we would know your peace, that we would know your grace, your forgiveness, the love that you plant within us, God. Let us receive that gift and begin our lives of faith anew. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.